0: I finished teaching through the first gospel, Isaiah 53. I had to find something to teach on, and I thought about teaching topical sermons, and uh, just try to find a topic to teach on here and there, and go through two or three of those, but that's just not my style. Um, I think it's great if somebody can do that, uh, somebody can teach topical sermons, but it's not the way that I teach. I'm more of a sequential teacher. And it makes it easier on me. I don't have to worry about what the next topic is that I'm going to teach. I teach topics, but I teach them by the way they come through view. So when I study sequentially through a book, obviously there are many topics that come along the way. And when I get to those topics, I take the time to teach the topics in context. And so in some way, I guess I, I teach topically, but more sequentially than anything. It, makes it, it just makes it easier for me. So while I was trying to decide what to teach on, I'd been studying the book of Hebrews or at least been reading it a little bit since uh, I got out of Isaiah 53. I'd been reading the book about uh, Hebrews. And um, that's what I thought about teaching through. And Matthew, he doesn't know this, but he called me one day and he said, I sure would like to hear you teach through the book of Acts. And uh, so... I thought, man, that's a long book—twenty-eight chapters in the Book of Acts. I may not live long enough to finish that book. <laughs> Teaching once a month, and and uh, I may not live long enough to do this, but we'll give it a shot. And so, um, but it's a great book. I'm pretty familiar with it. I've read the Book of Acts probably a hundred times, and I've studied a lot of different sections within the Book of Acts, but I've never studied it, you know, exegetically and and uh, verse by verse. But then I mentioned it to Kim and she said, no way, no way you're not teaching 28 chapters, you can stick with Hebrews, you know. (laughs) You know, it doesn't matter how long it takes to teach through something, it really doesn't matter. Um, It takes a long time sometimes to understand something, but that's okay because we're just a vapor, we're just a vapor. We're here for a little while and uh, we we should strive to make the most of our time. James says that we're here one day and we're going to tomorrow. And so if it takes me 10 years to preach through the book of Acts, uh, then at least when we get done with it, you'll all be educated and I'll be educated. The church will be edified and we will have one more book um, in the program that has been completely dissolved. You know, we, we take the time to, to do that. And so um, I'm kind of excited about it. And uh, I hope that you guys are interested in studying the book of Acts. I will do my best for Yahweh first and foremost but but for you guys as well to to teach it to to exegete the passage to understand it in the way that it's you know designed to be understood and I'll try to present it in a way that's honorable to Yahweh. And so how many is interested in going through the book of Acts? Yes. All right, Maybe. we got 3. Maybe as we go along it'll <laughs> it'll, it'll get better. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Acts, and we'll start in the first chapter in the first verse where you're supposed to start every book. We'll get some context there. We'll read through through the first 11 verses. And over the next couple of times that I teach, we'll cover these 11 verses, and I'll try to at least get through verse 1 today. Anyway, Acts chapter 1, we'll start there and read through verse 11. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all the... Yeshua began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of the Almighty. While he was together with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. This, he said, is what you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, at this time are you restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood beside them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Yeshua who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Verse 1 says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. So who is the I that wrote this book? That would be some valuable information, I would think. Does anybody know? It's Luke. Luke is the author here. And um, it's the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke. Now Luke's not an apostle, nor was he a disciple, but he was around during the days of the apostles after the death of the Messiah. He was on three of the missionary journeys with Paul, in the book of Acts, he accompanied him, from, accompanied him from Troas to Philippi, from Philippi to Jerusalem, and then from Caesarea to Rome. Luke was an eyewitness during 30 years of ministry that took place after the death of Yeshua. So he wasn't there prior to, or he may have been, but we don't see him there prior to, uh, during the life of Yeshua. But after the death of Yeshua, we see we see him present in the building of the church during the time frame of the book of Acts. Yeshua died somewhere between, it's speculated, but let's say A.D. 30 to A.D. 36. And then the Acts of the Apostles began to take place for about 30 years. And then Luke pens two letters, okay? The first one being the book of Luke, and he pins it somewhere around A.D. 59 to A.D. 60. And then the book of Acts somewhere around 61 to 62. Luke was also a medical doctor, okay? He was a great historian. That's what I like about Luke, I think. He's a great historian. He's very detailed in his writing. In Luke chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, It seems good to me since I have carefully investigated everything from the very first to write to you in orderly sequence. He's a sequential teacher. Maybe that's why I like it. I like it. And I like the fact that he's detailed about stuff. I like detail. I think it's important that we get things right, that we find all of the little nooks and crannies, that all that stuff's filled in, that we're not just speculating or guessing what's going on. So Luke's exhaustive in his writings. He's very detailed, I think, and as we should all be in our work for Yahweh. I think that's, that's what we're called to do. When we're doing something for Yahweh, it should be first and foremost for him, and secondly, it should be done and done right. So, that's who wrote the book of Acts, the great physician Luke. Now, Who did he write it to? Most letters are written to somebody, okay? They have an intended audience. He wasn't writing books. Luke didn't know that the first letter that he wrote or the first narrative that he wrote would ever be called the Gospel of Luke, and neither did he know that the second letter he ever wrote or the narrative that he wrote would be called the book of Acts. He has no idea what's going on right here. He's just writing letters. And he's writing them to someone, just like Paul would have wrote a letter to the church in Corinth or the church in Rome or Philippi or Ephesus or whatever be the case. He wrote a letter to somebody. There was a tent, an intended person on the other end of this letter or rather a destination in mind. So who does Luke write the book to? We we um, or the letter to we look back at verse one again and it says, I wrote the first narrative and then it says Theophilus about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. So it's Theophilus. Luke says he wrote the first narrative and he's speaking to the, speaking about the gospel of Luke as we know it. That's the first narrative. And now he's writing the second narrative. Both writings had the same destination. Okay. They were going to the same man and this man's name is Theophilus. They were headed to a man from Antioch. That's who Theophilus was. Now exactly who Theophilus is is not known. There's a lot of speculation there. A lot of people have different understandings of who Theophilus is and I don't think anybody's one hundred percent certain on the matter. But it seems that he must have been someone of great importance because in Luke chapter one and verse three, he's called most excellent Theophilus. Alright. This kind of language is usually used of people in high regard, maybe of royal descent or noble position, political positions, things like that. That's that's what it's used of. Paul actually uses the same language when he when he writes to the governor Felix. Okay, in Acts chapter 23 and verse 26, it says Paul wrote to him in his defense or an appeal for trial, and he says, Most excellent Felix is what he calls him. And so Felix is a man of power. He's a governor. He's got some he's got some clout in the community. And so maybe that's what's going on here. But it's possible that Luke wrote these letters to Theopolis because Theopolis had plenty of money. And he wanted his own account of, uh, the book of Acts or the, the Acts of the early church. Maybe he wanted his own account of the gospels. That's always an option. It's not known for sure, but it's also an option that he was an influential man in the, in the town of Antioch. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that Luke is from Antioch and maybe they were previous for friends prior to, prior to the books being wrote. Some would even say that maybe Luke was Theophilus's position, all right? So, maybe Luke thought by getting these two writings to Theophilus that he could further spread the gospel because of his power and his influence, whatever that might be. If we go back to Luke chapter 1, it seems that uh, Theophilus may have had a hand in building of the church of some part or leading new converts, at least because Luke tells him that he thoroughly investigated everything from the first to write to him in orderly sequence so that he would know for certain the things about which he had been instructed. What was instructed for Theopolis to do? I guess speculation there, but I would assume that maybe he had some kind of dealing with the early church or maybe ministering to people, something like that. I'm not I'm not sure 100%. So while we don't know exactly who Theopolis is, we can surely see he was an influential man. And possibly he is a disciple of Luke or maybe even Paul's. Now Theophilus in, in the Greek, it means lover of Theos. Okay? Mm-hmm. And maybe that's just what Theophilus was. It's a possibility. Everything's vague and it's real gray with who he is. So I'm just, I'm just throwing some things out there. Maybe he was just a lover of, of the Almighty mm-hmm. and he wanted to serve Yahweh at the greatest capacity he could. Kind of like Cornelius did. Mm-hmm. You know, in in Acts chapter 10, and because he was well off and influential, he used what Yahweh had given him, the power and the money, to further the gospel with the help of Luke sending him the accounts of both the gospel and the start of the early church. So we know who the writer is, and we know who he wrote it to, and now we need to know why he's writing it. Why is he writing this letter, and what's he writing it about so I look at verse one again. It says, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Yeshua began to do and teach. Does this tell us what Luke's writing about? Well, it tells us what he wrote the first letter about. It tells us that he wrote about all the things that Yeshua began to do and teach. But that's that's the first letter. What book is his first narrative? We talked about that in a second ago. Luke, the gospel of Luke is his first narrative. All right. So that's what volume one was all about, but, but not volume two necessarily. We're looking at volume two today. So why does he write what we call the book of Acts? Why did he write that? Well, after the death of Yeshua, the work of the church begins. That's the work of the church. That's what we're, we're still carrying on that on today. But the work of the church begins after the death of the Messiah. Remember, the first narrative was written about what Yeshua began to do and teach. So now the book of Acts picks up right where Luke leaves off. You might say that the Gospels record the finished work of Yeshua because in some sense they do, I guess. In uh, John chapter 17 and verse 4, it says, the Messiah says, I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Mm. And in John 19 and verse 30, just before he died, he said, it's finished. It's finished. So, in some way he did finish his work, but in some ways his work had only just begun. Please don't please understand that I am not trying to say or take anything away from the finished work of the Messiah, right? With regard to redemption. <clears throat> that's not what I'm saying at all, but there was at all, but there was a work that had just begun. And that's the work of proclaiming the kingdom. And the gospel message had only begun. And it would be carried on by the people set in place to carry it on. So Yeshua begins to collect saints for the kingdom. In his short time here, in his three years of ministry right there, he begins to collect saints for the kingdom. But the group is small by the time that he dies. Right? This small group in this small city in this middle of this big old world will be what starts and carries the gospel to all the known world. That's what was began in his ministry. So Acts as Luke continues to write is the story of what Yeshua continues to do and teach not what what he began to do and teach so that's verse 1 we're flying through this thing I may finish this book in 3 or 4 years so uh, we know who wrote it Luke we know who it's written to Theophilus and we know why it was written for the continuing ministry of Yeshua the kingdom that's to come and that covers verse 1 so let's look at verse 2 We start in the middle of a sentence here, but verse 2 says, Until the day he was taken up after he had given orders through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So he taught and did kingdom things in a perfect manner until his death, right? And then after he is resurrected, does anybody remember what happens? Well, you can check this out in your own time, but back in Luke chapter 24 we have the documentation of what takes place after his resurrection as Luke records it. And what happens is the women go to the tomb. Mm -hmm. They see two angels. The Messiah's not there. His clothes are laying there, right? Mm -hmm. They see two angels and the women are just distraught over the whole thing. But the angels ask him, they say, why do you, they ask ask them, why do you look for the living among the dead? (laughs) So the women run back to the eleven who are in the upper room, right? They tell them everything that they've seen, and Peter doesn't believe them, and so he leaves, and the rest of them really don't believe him So later that day, a couple of them are walking down the road. They're headed to Emmaus, and the Messiah shows up, and they really don't even know who he is. He's he's kind of distorted to some in some degree, so that they can't recognize him. And Yeshua shows up, and he asks them about the events that have been taking place, and they're like, "Man, are you nuts?" You're the only person in Jerusalem that don't know anything about what's going on. This Yeshua of the Nazarene, you know, he's been killed. He's been dead. He's resurrected from the grave. You have no idea about what's going on. And so they talk for a while and then they invite Yeshua to go in and eat with them. And he goes in and eats with them that afternoon. And while they're at the table, Yeshua reveals to them who he really is. And their hearts set ablaze and they're overwhelmed in the fact of his resurrection. And so right then they get up and they leave and they run to Jerusalem. The Bible says that very hour they leave and they go to Jerusalem and they tell the other 11. They find the rest, the other 11 gathered around, gathered together and they told them what had happened to them on the road to Emmaus. Well, while they're talking, Yeshua shows up again among them. And he asked them, why do you doubt what you have been told? Can't you see the holes in my hand and can't you see the holes in my feet? It's me. And then Yeshua goes on to eat with them again that afternoon. I mean, he just eats all the time, it seems like. I was reading it, I was, I was reading and I was thinking, man, he just ate an hour ago and he's, now he's getting some fish, you know. He, he asked them if they have anything to eat and they, they bring him some broiled fish, you know. But I, either way, he's, he's continuing to eat. And so he, he eats with them, eats with the guys on the road to the and then he eats with the eleven. And um, after they had ate, Yeshua reminds them of what he told them during his ministry. And that is this. He says, everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then what happens? This is the most important thing, I think, in all the book of Luke, or at least at the end of the book of Luke, in chapter 24. It says that he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know if you can imagine that, but I cannot imagine my mind being opened so that I understood all that was in the Scriptures. What that would even be like if Yeshua walked in here today and opened our minds to understand without flaw everything that is bound between the bindings of this this book. I can't imagine what that would be like. That's what He did for them. The eleven, And it's building up to a reason of why He did it. We'll get to that in a minute. But He told them, after that he opened up their mind, he told them the Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and and look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from high, from on high. What city is he talking about? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. then the Messiah led them out as far as Bethany he blessed them and ascended into heaven and that's where Luke leaves off that's the first narrative so this is where his second narrative begins in Acts chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 he says he began to do and teach these teach things until the day he was taken up that's the day that we just read about and Luke chapter twenty four, the day that he was taken up. So he began to do and teach things until that day that he was that he was taken up. All right. Right after he appeared to him, he walked him to Bethany. Right after he got through that afternoon and the evening, he walked him out to Bethany, and he blessed him. Right. It says the rest. It says in the rest of verse two that he was taken up after he had given them orders through the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you this. I think it would be informative or really good information to have. Or we would want to know what the orders were that he gave give them to do. And I would think that they would want to know that. So um, we just talked about it. What were the orders that he, that he gave the, the apostles there? We talked about it in Luke chapter 24. and It's two things. He kind of charges them to go with the gospel. Okay, that's kind of what he's pushing them in that direction. In the sense that they're witnesses of all that has happened. So go and tell the people about all of that. And he tells them that repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. So, So they're charged with letting people know that as well. So what are they to do? Start spreading the good news. I think that's the commission right there. Go and tell people what you've seen. You've witnessed the the ministry, the crucifixion, the death, the resurrection of the Messiah. You've seen all that, and I'll take that and share it with the world. Okay, Go spread the good news. Tell about everything that happened during the ministry of Yeshua and and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins in His name. And where does He say that they should start? In Jerusalem. And we see that's exactly what they do. The first sermon that's ever preached or recorded after the death of Messiah mm-hmm. is in Jerusalem. Amen. And where else would it be? It happened, it happened on the day of Pentecost. And where else would they have been? Yeah. Yeah. No other place than Jerusalem. Yeah. But I want you to catch this, though. After the Great Commission, to go out and spread these things, so to, so, so to speak, after Yeshua tells them that they're witnesses and, go, and to go into all the nations and share what they are witnesses of, he tells them to do something else. And what was that? He says to stay in the city. That's another command that he gives them. He says, go share the gospel. What he says, stay in the city. Again, what city? Jerusalem. That's where they're at. They were already there. Okay, I, think, I don't think anything's changed. They were there since, uh, since Passover. Remember, the Messiah tells them to go find a place and prepare the Passover. Mm -hmm. So they all go and prepare the place for the Passover. Passover takes place, and they're still there. I don't think they've left. I think they've they've either rented a room or rented a house or whatever. Whatever's taking place, but I believe they're still in that same place that they kept the Passover in. Mm -hmm. So he tells them to stay in the city since they were already there, but but he tells them to stay there until they're empowered on high. Why would he tell them this? it's all over with right the Messiah's dead the work's finished you know show's over can't we go home everybody else would have already been home mm-hmm. right Passover was over with you didn't stay in Jerusalem if you lived in Galilee now you went back home and went to work mm-hmm. but he doesn't tell them to, he doesn't tell them to go home Passover's over with he says you stay in the city until you're empowered on high brothers and sisters the work has just begun the party's not over with it's just getting started, and they're going to need exactly what Yahweh is going to send them in order to be what Yahweh would have them to be. So He tells them to stay there and wait for the the empowerment. What is that empowerment? It's the Holy Spirit of Yahweh. Yeah. It's going to come, and when is it going to come? We know this according to Acts chapter two. If you read it in in, in advance, Acts chapter two, the the Holy Spirit comes on them on the day of Pentecost. That's reason they need to stay there. So he tells them to stay there and they're going to need this Holy Spirit to complete the task that they've been charged with. Now we'll get to the promise of that Holy Spirit the next time I teach when we get to verse 4. But And I don't want to spoil it for everybody, but we're still dealing with the introduction of the book here. So let's at least finish one more verse and then I'll just kind of close this out. But look at verse 3. It says, After he had suffered... He also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of Yahweh. Man, what a faith builder. I can't imagine what that would be like. It would have to be a faith builder, a huge faith builder, at least for me, to see the master another 40 days after he physically died. Understand that it's not that they saw him 40 times total, but for 40 days. Keep in mind that the 40 days were not consecutive either. We can see that the 40 days that um, he was with them were broken up in the, in uh, John chapter 21. So it's not consecutive days and neither were it specifically 40 times, but rather 40 days. But still that would be such a faith builder. Either way, Yeshua appears for 40 days after his resurrection all the way up to the day of Pentecost, or at least shortly before there. Um... That's, uh, that's incredible. That's an incredible faith builder. These people are not um, they're not used to seeing dead people come to life. All right? They're just like you and I. You, if your mom or dad dies, you don't expect to see them next week. Right? It's, a, it's a big deal. So this evidence of him being alive is what sealed the deal for them. This is what gives them their faith. This is, they're not super faithful people anyways. If you hadn't noticed, a lot of them doubt. They took off running to the grave when they were told that he was risen. Right? Without this proof, proof it may it may not have stuck. You know, it may it may have just died out. They run a little weak on fee on faith. You know, but uh, this sealed the deal and it set them on fire to go and do what they were instructed to do. To do and that was to share the kingdom message mm-hmm. with the rest of the world. You remember when we went through the book of Ephesians? If you remember. Paul says that the resurrection of Yeshua was a display of Yahweh's best strength and immeasurable greatness in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 19. And if Yahweh could raise Yeshua from the dead, couldn't he do it also for the apostles? This is, this is the promise of eternal life. Amen. This is our promise and Amen. this is their promise is the resurrection of the dead. Yes. Yes. So if they can see the resurrection of the Holy One yes. then in, and he can raise him from the power of the chains of darkness, can he not also raise us? It's huge. It's a big deal for them. Alright? So, um just picture that. Can you imagine going to the tomb? The day after, or two days after, I guess, he's been put in there. The stone's been rolled away. All we see is clothes laying there. He's nowhere to be found. What's the first thing that goes through your mind? They don't think he's been resurrection. What do they think? They think he's been he's been stolen. Somebody has misplaced his body. Matter of fact, they ask where has his body been placed. But that's not what happened. He had risen. Then can you imagine seeing him alive again and thinking, "Hang on, now something's awry. He's a he's just a ghost." Because that's what they thought he was in the upper room. They thought he was a ghost. He tells him, "He says, I'm not a ghost." He said, "Forgive me, something to eat. I'll show you. I'm not a ghost." Put something in my stomach. I eat just like you do. I've got bones. I've got flesh. Touch me. Can't you see that I'm, that I'm not a ghost? Uh-huh. It would be just like us. We would be blown away if somebody told me, you know, Sandy died, you know, three days ago. And then I see Sandy standing out there in a the parking lot. <laughs> Something's wrong. You know what I mean? Something's wrong. They thought just like we do. They're no different than we are. They were human beings. They didn't that's see right. this every day. It wasn't common to them. And that's what makes it so great. So, he's been delivered from the chains of darkness. And in Ephesians chapter one and, uh, chapter one and verse 20 and 21, it says that he's already seated at the right hand of Yahweh in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, Mm. power and dominion, every title given, Mm. not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Mm. And that's, if that's not good enough, scripture continues and says that he, Yahweh, put everything under his feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. Which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. The church. Yeah, that's you and me. That's the church. You and me and all other believers. Including the church that is about to live out this book of Acts that we're going to be going through and studying through. That's the church. All the apostles and characters throughout the book of Acts are what is called the church. That's just the early church. That was the beginning of it. Now, how powerful is the resurrection? It's incredible. Yes. It's an incredible part of his ministry. It had to be there. Yes. It had to be there. Very powerful. Incredible faith builder, for crying out loud. Thomas said that he wouldn't even believe if he couldn't touch him. Yeah. So the resurrection sealed the deal for Thomas. He got to touch the Messiah. Yeah. It's not that Thomas hadn't seen the miracles. He seen all the miracles. He heard all the teachings. He probably watched him die, maybe from a distance. Yeah. Probably watched him die. He heard of his resurrection. He just didn't believe. He just didn't believe it. No, he experienced all that stuff, but he said, unless I can touch him, I won't believe. And remember, Yeshua didn't, he didn't cast him out for unbelief. We should take that away from here today if we don't take anything else away from here. He didn't cast him out for unbelief. No, he let him touch him. He let him touch him. That's the kind of Lord we serve. He's a wonderful son of Yahweh. He's a beautiful savior and that's a beautiful faith builder to be able to see and touch the master for 40 days after his death it's incredible so that's how the beginning of Luke starts and the last